the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Hello. Let's see if I can find my voice. Good morning. Happy day to you. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, Obviously, big earthquake this weekend reminds us that, you know, financial scenarios will pop up pretty quickly in pretty unexpected ways. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, there's some interesting business stories for sure. Roche is going to buy a biotech firm Intermune for $8.3 billion. Mergers and acquisitions on Monday morning. Typically a very good thing for Wall Street. You know, whatever you want to call it, Merger Monday, Merger Mania. The fact that the deals are done over the weekend obviously is for typically legal reasons and, you know, not letting the information get out at too important of a time that could, you know, change the trading of the stock or insiders' situations. But it's good to see. When one company looks at another company and says, I'm going to pay a premium for you, in this case, a 38% premium, that makes you look at other biotech stocks that Intermune used to hang out with and say, maybe they deserve a premium too. The acquisition, which has been recommended by the boards of both companies, is the largest by Roche since 2009 when it bought out the remaining stake it did not already own of Genentech for $47 billion. So this is a big biotech monster company at this point in time. Um, News on this is sometimes tied towards the product. Like, what are they working on? Like, what, what sector are they inside of? Industry analysts, for instance, you know, look at the drug pipeline, of which they're supposed to have about a billion dollars in sales. Uh, Roche is trying to diversify away from its reliance on cancer drugs, where it is the world leader, by expanding into other diseases such as respiratory medicine. They already market Pulmazine for cystic fibrosis, Zolaire for severe asthma, and they've got other experimental products in the pipeline. So... Being the cancer leader in the world, you keep seeing, like, Americans are aging. What happens when you age? You tend to get stricken with cancer, right? 
or we all know people who have. Um, so who's next? You know, and that kind of gets some people excited. AbbVie's acquisition of Shire, Medtronic's acquisition of Covidian, AstraZeneca fended off a $118 billion takeover by Pfizer. These are big deals. Not as good as the Video Music Awards last night on MTV, but pretty close. Are we starting to get towards um, award season? Because tonight, the Emmys, like, oof. Oof. There's nothing I hate more than an, uh, an award show. I know, I know. It gives some people that moment, that break from reality, where they get to see what the stars are dressing like. And I kind of think of myself as a star, so I'm like, uh, not all that impressed with others, if you know what I'm saying. Anyway, let's talk money. We're not exactly sure how much juice can be squeezed out of the same lemon, but the S&P 500 is doing well yet again. Uh, we are at 2,000. This is a big round number, 1999.62, up 11 today on the S&P 500. People will go, ooh, 2,000. And some people will say, look at all the money that's being made, and my money's at the bank. I'm going to buy stocks. And some people will say, look at how much money's being made. I'm going to sell some stocks. So it's a round number that psychologically has kind of like some play in people's heads, it means nothing. We're above most targets for the year, and that's, that's worrisome. Wall Street analysts, will they now go out and up their targets for the year? And say, even though we said our target, there it is at 2,000, ding, 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 ding. Um, will they go out and say, we've hit our target, now is the time to raise it? Because we don't want to look stupid if it goes up another 5%. Um, or is there is this just get, getting silly? Like, why are we always going higher? The Dow's at 17,107, up 105. The Nasdaq up 25. It's in at 45.65. So we did it. We hit da- uh, SP 500. 2,000. Yay. And it's like, happy days are here again. Da 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 da. And again, it can all change quickly. You've got the Middle East situation where Americans are getting their heads cut off. You've got Republicans out there gloating um, about how bad President Obama's uh, international foreign policy is. Washington made things worse. Washington has made things worse domestically. I would have to agree that he's been a pretty bad international president in the sense that Putin's kind of run ramshock on him. Um, And for all the promises that he made on getting out of Iraq and uh, settling things down, there's been some problems. There have been some Benghazi kind of flare-ups and uh, policy that's just... Is it governable? Maybe not. Maybe no one could do it. But it's happening on his watch. So it's interesting to see, you know, we're coming up August, September, November elections. So that'll be not as important as... You know, the message that came from Fred Chair Janet Yellen on Friday and ECB President Draghi, Mario Von Draghi. Um, they both reiterated over the weekend by Bank of Japan Governor Kuroda as well. You know, that central bankers are doing what they will to give stimulus as necessary. So there will be kind of a play on in the elections if the Republicans look like they get power. 
that has as many ramifications as Janet Yellen raising interest rates in 2015. You know, policies of, you know, let's bail out the American middle class, let's bail out the American lower class, let's bail out the American rich, um, all have financial ramifications throughout the stock market. Um, there's a decent amount of economic data for the bond market to digest this week. Home sales report for July come, came out. I'll give you that data in a little bit as the show goes on. Reports later in the week include durable orders, consumer confidence, initial claims, second estimate for second quarter GDP, personal income and spending, and Chicago PMI. So it's a lot of data this week. Another element helping the S&P market uh, today is M&A, like I said. Roche going to acquire Intermune in a big deal. Burger King also acquiring Tim Hortons. And quite honestly, it turns out that we just have too many damn stores. So you're going to see consolidation in restaurants as well as retail. Um, there's no way around it. And then as they consolidate, you know, they'll have more volume, volume, volume. Burger King actually getting rewarded for this. Shares are up higher. I mean, you're like Tim Hortons. Wasn't he a Canadian hockey player who ate donuts? No, no, Stan Makita. But same idea. Tim Hortons, big coffee and donut kind of place. Um, and crappy fast food in Canada. A little bit in the United States. Um, mostly in the Midwest. Uh, north, Northern Midwestern parts. So pretty ordinary Monday other than all this exciting stuff going on. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Pick up the phone. Give me a call, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Take a break here. Be right back. I tell my story in reverse, cause it hurts. Girl, it hurts too much to bear. But I'm tantalized by their legs and long hair. AM 1220 KDOW to get food to kids facing hunger in communities across the country. Stocks are up on Burger. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. So I'm not sure... You're popping between financial news and funny and wacky morning shows, but just so you know, there's going to be some bad news out there at some point, it looks like, today. There's an active shooter being reported at Fort Lee, Virginia, in the Army Post. Uh, no other news on that at this point in time. Hopefully, it will be very minimal, but it's out there. So, let's talk a little earthquake. Um... I have to talk about this today on television. Um, I bring this up in large part because, you know, it's something that I don't think most people account for. Worst case scenarios. Today there could be a worst case scenario with, you know, a family in Virginia where, you know, mom or dad don't come home due to an active shooter. Um, Saturday night, in the middle of the night, earthquake hit, 6.0, big one. Um, about nine miles south of Napa. Jolted a lot of people. A lot of people went scrambling, as you could well imagine. Um, how many people in Napa do you think have insurance on earthquakes? 
it's very, very few. And yet we are a state that's known for active fault lines. So buildings, fires, um, injuries, all are economic damage, right? It could be more than a billion dollars. We don't know how much, but it could be more than a billion. Only one in ten Californians have insurance to cover the damage to their homes and their property. It's estimated, and doesn't that sound like a lot? It does, to me. It's estimated the numbers are even lower in some of the areas that were hit on Sunday. As few as 6%. So 10% goes down down to 6%. In fact, the percentage of homeowners in the United States who have earthquake insurance is declining across the country. 10% of homeowners in the western United States have coverage, down from 22% a year ago. Wow, a year ago? Nationwide, just 7% carry coverage. A drop of 3 percentage points in the last year. Who gets earthquake insurance? People who have higher incomes. California does not require homeowners, renters, or building owners to buy such insurance, and earthquake damage is usually excluded from homeowners' insurance policies. You know, the cost varies on insurance. You insure what you can't afford to lose. We've heard that time and time again, including by location and, you know, uh, the size of the house, the location of the house, how close it is to a fault, what the home is made of. It typically costs Californians about $860 per year. Most people would carry earthquake coverage, if not for misperceptions about what policies do and do not cover. The length of time between major earthquakes may also lull people into that false sense of security. Um, earthquake insurance generally covers the home itself and personal property inside. Some plans offer cash for emergency repairs and fund temporary living arrangements if a home is badly damaged or destroyed. Um, if you do have coverage and you're living in Napa, and you should call your insurance agent today. To say the least, and get that ball get that ball rolling. Now, the economic impact for wineries is probably the second story that I can you know create a little magic out of. Um, near the height of annual harvesting and tourist season, California's Napa Valley wineries were hit pretty hard, and they'll cover, no doubt about it. And a lot of learning will happen as well. Pretty violent awakening. Um, at Silver Oak Winery, about half a mile from the epicenter, three barrels were destroyed. I know you're saying, three barrels, is that it? The biggest loss was the winery's reference bottles, bottles of wines used to blend previous vintages. They're completely irreplaceable. Nevertheless, the winery's tasting room was open Sunday, running on generator power. And they're saying that's one of the things you could do right now. If you want to help Napa, don't pour a bucket of ice on your head. Go to Napa. Spend money. It's like after 9-11, the best thing you could help do for New York is go to New York. Spend money. Because there was a lot of people in the tourism business that got hit hard because people were afraid to go to New York. Napa's home to nearly 800 wineries. They produce about 49.7 million cases of wine per year. The impact to California is about $50 billion. 
So a billion-dollar hit is going to be pretty hard. Where does it ultimately hit? You know, bottom line, we don't know yet. And will it stop people from going to Napa? Or will people go, okay, they've had their, their release of pressure. Give them 30 more years. You know, L.A.'s had a big one. 30 years ago, San Francisco had a big one. You know, is San Francisco due? Maybe. I don't know how that works. I just do a radio show. This is the busiest time of the year because the harvest is on. Um, it just started for whites, and reds are coming soon in the next two to six weeks. So any damage that's done has to be fixed. A lot of wineries tend to stack up barrels for space reasons. A barrel typically holds 25 cases, so when I told you they lost three barrels, um, that's about 900 bottles of wine in three barrels, or 300 bottles of wine per case. And if you go 300 bottles of wine, typically $50 a bottle, um, it adds up. It's serious. It's sizable. Wineries reported a high number of call as calls as tourists look for open tastings post-quake. Um, so first and foremost, the safety and security for people has to be put into perspective. Um, but like if you were in Yountville this weekend, 10 miles north of the quake, no major damage, open for business, absolutely run out there. Um, a lot of shelf space in like grocery stores and wineries, uh, pretty hard hit. So, in things like, you know, a lot of the shelf space in Napa, like, they're selling some pretty high-end like, olive oils and things like that. So, um, Constellation Brands Diageo have significant wineries. They're publicly traded, ticker symbol S-T-Z-D-E-L. Um, so, I'll take a look at those stocks. Let's take a look at those stocks right now, in fact. See how they're doing today. S-T-Z is Constellation Brands. So millennials, more and more so, are going to wine and skipping beer. So there's an investment trend there. The 52-week range on Constellation Brands has gone from 55 to almost, well, 94. Now it's at 86. It's down fractions today. So it's not taking a hit in any way, shape, and form tied towards wineries. Diageo hasn't had quite as good of a year. Um, If you were to compare the two stocks um, on valuation... And they're both massive wine plays. Constellation just has much better value, and that's why it's been shooting higher. I like both stocks as a long-term patient investor, because I do believe in the trend of wine going forward. But you want to buy them when they're down, not necessarily when they're at all-time highs, and you want to accumulate them over a lifetime, because who's... AM 1220 KDOW Trend. online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial. If you have a question, drop me an email. Rob at robblackshow.com. Rob at robblackshow.com. Hmm. You know, 
Napa, I guess the thing that keeps coming in my head again and again and again is how random it is at times to wake up to an economic event and you're like, buildings fell down. I'm like, yeah, that's an economic event. Some people were hurt, some critical. Um, cleanup costs, obviously, is kind of good for business, which is ridiculous to think about. Someone has a financial loss. Someone comes in and says, you know what, I'll help clean it up. Give me some money. Um, so it's not just the inventory that gets you know, a pinch in a scenario like this. There's a hurricane out in the Pacific right now, down by Mexico, that could hit California. And we don't typically talk much about you know, hurricanes in California, but on occasion it happens. Um, so be prepared. You know, my home, I don't have earthquake insurance. I've got assets elsewhere that if there was an economic disaster, I'd be okay. It would financially hurt for sure. At some point in time, if my home was all my worth or most of my worth, I would absolutely insure it because I couldn't afford a worst-case scenario. That's why they say insure what you can't afford to lose. Let's talk with a little financial planning right now. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Welcome in, CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Chad, costs in retirement, a lot of people just aren't prepared to think about retirement, what it means to them, what it looks like, but then they, the cost associated with it. Let's talk about health care costs after the age of 65 when you're retired. Oh, well, it's not free. So people think that they turn 65 and they get on Medicare free and they've got their majority of the health care covered. You get Medicare Part A for free, which is more of the hospital type plan. You got B, which has super high deductibles, so people have to get a supplemental plan. So Medicare Part B is about 105 bucks a month. It went up, you know, 2014 didn't go up a lot with inflation, but previous years went up five and, and then before that, 2010, 11, and 12, it was almost double digit inflation on the, that number. Um, you also pay a lot more. You could pay up to three times the amount of Medicare Part B as your neighbor if you make a lot of money. It's a, there's kind of a success tax tied to it. And then your average cost of a Medigap policy throughout your lifetime averages about 210 bucks a month from our studies. And then between either Part D or prescription drugs, co-pays, dental costs, and things like that, averages about 240 a month in retirement. And uh, if you're middle class, in other words, you're retiring with just enough in your portfolio to get through to age 100, you should probably look at long-term care, which could be at 60, 65, another 300 bucks a month. So you're looking at 600 to $850 a month in retirement health care costs that your employer is likely paying a good portion of right now. What's interesting to note about some of that is that um, I don't think people like insurance. And you're talking about getting insurance. And then when you have insurance, it doesn't cover as much as you want it to. Right. In particular, like the dentist. Um, Medicare, Medi- Medicare insurance in retirement is not much. Um, keep in mind, when you're in retirement, you tend to do what? Like lose teeth. So you're talking about not getting a filling for 300 bucks. You're talking about losing a tooth at, you know, three, four, five, six thousand dollars to get replaced. Yeah. Unless you want to be toothless. And most of the time, private dental insurance isn't worth the cost you know, right. for people our age. Um, so unless your employer has it, it's, it's almost like save the money, 
create a sync fund for your dental costs and your copays, or fund an HSA account if you're eligible, and use that. But yeah, those types of costs they they add up, and it really it's very low. Maybe if you're healthy at 65, but by the time you get to 80, 85, that's when those costs really start kicking in. I sleep with a mouth guard, even though I don't have to, because I talk to my dentist. He says you're really not a grinder, so it's not that big of an issue. But the better care you take of your teeth, the longer they're going to last. So I actually put plastic in my mouth every night just so that I don't have to lose a tooth at age 85. Good to know. I know, right? <laughs> preventative maintenance. Let's talk a little bit about preventative maintenance. You talked about HSAs. Um, do you continue to fund them in retirement, do you think? No, you don't fund them after 65. Okay. But So the, the idea with an HSA, I call a super healthcare Roth IRA, because you can put money in pre-tax and take it out tax-free, so you get a double benefit. Unlike a Roth IRA where you put in tax after-tax money and gross tax-free for retirement, uh, HSA, if your company offers it or if you're trying to get it on your own, you get a high-deductible plan. You can put a certain amount in HSA, write it off on your tax, and then when you have health care costs, deductibles, co-pays, you can take the money out. If you have a bunch of money that's left over in there, it can be invested, and at 65, you can take it out to pay for Medicare Part B, long-term care insurance, and all those other costs. So it's great for retirement. Good to know. Good to know. Um, so... Cost of Medicare is going to go up, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I expect Medicare Part B to to continue to rise on average over your lifetime, five to six percent. Okay, five to six percent inflation. Okay, that's higher than. Well, that's medical inflation versus anything medical. When we're doing financial plans, average costs, normal lifestyle expenses, three to three and a half percent. How about for a portion of our audience who's just dirt broke in retirement? What does their health care look like? Well, the the problem is that a lot of times they can't afford the supplemental cost, the okay. supplemental insurance. So they go either without or they go broke paying for it. Okay. Um, when Once you go broke to a certain level, you know, you get on Medicaid or Medi-Cal in California for certain it, items. So. Doesn't it seem like the whole supplemental thing got slipped in on us? Like, you and I, when we were kids, we knew Medicare was free. And then suddenly it wasn't. Like, maybe it was just the fact that we just didn't know. Yeah, I mean, it's or maybe it was it was super cheap for my mom and dad or my grandparents, right? No, I mean it. You know, it's it's always been trying to find, for instance, those supplemental plans. In the last twenty years, if anything, they've always you've always needed one really in retirement to have full coverage. Okay. Um, and then there's always been that donut hole for people that are a certain age that have prescription drug issues. It's more complicated now. I mean. Ask anybody that turns 65 or they're turning 65 and there's a window to sign up. You know, okay. you get penalized if you don't sign up by a certain age. The process that people have to go to to find the right supplemental plan for age 65 is horrendous. It's it's stressful. It's not fun. Yeah. Anyway, with that being said, um, I'm pretty sure that great-grandpa Black paid 29 cents a month for Medicare Part B, and he was angry about it. Just throwing it out there for you. I'm pretty sure costs were that cheap 80 years ago. Anyhow and anyway, you can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Taking a look at some of the top stories of the day. Obviously, for many Californians, it's Napa, California, an area that's beloved, an area that brings in much, much tax revenue. Uh, for the state of California, which loves to spend that tax revenue. Which, off topic, but kind of on topic. I saw, um, I was picking up, I don't even know, maybe like a bagel or something in 7-Eleven. 
and I saw a sign that said, last year Californians generated $1.1 billion in education funds via playing the lottery. I'm like, really? That's almost something that you don't want to brag about. Californians playing the lottery basically lost a lot of money. They certainly didn't earn $1.1 billion. Um, so thank you, stupid people who play the lottery. Um, and when I say stupid, I'm just saying mathematically stupid, because the odds are against you, and yet you still throw down those dollars that go to our education. The more you throw down, the less I have to. Yes, or the less they'll ask me to via higher taxes or parcel taxes, what have you. S&P 500 is playing with 2000 a day. And whether or not we hit it, hold it, break through it, hit it, pull back, I don't really care. In the big scheme of things, when I retire in 20, 30 years, I'm not going to look back and go, oh, I remember what I was doing on August 25th when the SP 500 hit 2000. It's a benchmark. It's nice. It's really far along from where we were five years ago and people were depressed and discouraged coming out of the recession. And that's okay. A friend of mine I was talking to this weekend works at USAA, and he's like, we're rolling out a new app that has facial recognition in it. And I'm like, that's good, because that'll cut down on some fraud, right? I'm not sure how many people try to do fraud with their insurance agencies and what have you, but um, I'm liking that the technology is going that direction for sure. S&P 500, big story of the day. New home sales fell again in July. Supply increases sharply. Interesting. Sales of new U.S. single-family homes fell for a second straight month. But a surge in stock of properties on the market and a moderation in price increases should help stimulate demand in the months ahead. How much inventory is out there is always a big issue. Uh, we've got about six months of, of houses on the market. So right now, at the current pace of sales... Versus how much inventory is out there. It would take about six months to clear out the supply of houses. Um, that's a pretty high read. Um, as that goes to seven months, eight months, nine months, that's bad for the owner. It becomes a buyer's market. Anything under six months is a seller's market. The longer your home is on the market, the more you're willing to cut prices is the idea. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Pick up the phone. Give me a call, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Get your calls in the air. AM 1220, KDOW traffic. Starting off in Pleasanton. So, 
As with most disasters and emergencies, the first set of numbers that come out are going to be really low. Really wrong. It's going to be well over a billion dollars of losses. And again, that's loss of productivity. That's loss of, of goods. Uh, some of it will be covered by insurance, but most of it will not. It's tough to tell an insurance company that an act of God you know, measures up with the financial calculations of projecting you know, what your monthly fees are going to be. Um, because acts of God are you know, few and far between. 6.0 magnitude earthquake hits Napa. There's a company called Henry Hill and Company. It's a bonded wine warehouse. A roof caved in and sent barrels of high-priced wine tumbling to the concrete floor below. His warehouse contained nearly a 1,000 barrels. Uh, Bill Hill, so Henry Hill and Company. Uh, Many filled with expensive, high-quality Cabernet Sauvignon. Hill called the building's damage severe and estimated that close to 20% of his wine has been lost at the cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Dozens of barrels are now trapped under a semi-collapsed roof. Save the wine barrels that are pinned in by the roof, he's going to have to secure the roof. And this just gets really complicated because, I don't know, it's like, have you ever played one of those stacking games? And uh, this is a real one. That Be careful which one you pull out first and how you get it. Um, complicating matters. Um, local businesses are going to be pretty hard. So I'm going to go out of my way. Like I said, instead of doing the ice bucket challenge, I'm going to go out of my way to go to Napa a little bit more often than I normally do. Um, Napa has, you know, Napa County has 430 physical wineries. But think of all the businesses tied towards it. How many people pour for a living on the weekends? How many people deliver wine? Um, Think of, you know, some of the ancillary businesses that are tied towards, you know, hey, I'm going to have a coffee shop because in the morning when people wake up a little hungover from their wine-drinking binges, they're going to want a good cup of joe. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see the ramifications. And again, I think that's where Americans do the best, is they get up and uh, they support others when in need. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Money, investing, and or more. Um, taking a look at you know the stories of the day. SP 500 is playing with 2,000. New U.S. home sales slumped the weakest since March, creating more inventory. So it's turning slowly into a buyer's market instead of a seller's market. But it depends on the location, location, location. Quiet overseas action. Um, biotech companies doing quite well today, tied towards Interimune being acquired by Roche. It's a good day to be a biotech stock, per se. Um, the SP 500 is up 12, the Dow is up 112, the NASDAQ up 32, the SP 500 is at 2001. Typically, when the market hits these big round numbers, we have to play with them a little bit. It's not always true. Sometimes they just blow through it. Play with it is like, how do you feel about 2000? I don't know. How do you feel about 2000? Um, so sometimes it could be, a, it takes weeks to get through. Maybe we just blow through it and never look back. You really never know. Um, McDonald's, again, in the news. And it's the same story every time. 
McDonald's having the worst slump in a decade. As more millennials, customers in their 20s and 30s, are saying, you know what, I'd rather go to Chipotle or I'd rather go to Five Guys. Um, in the United States, more than 40% of McDonald's, 35,000 plus global locations. Um, sales at stores open 13 months have been flat or falling for the past year. Um, I feel like McDonald's to me is almost like a, and this is an exaggeration, but it's almost extreme. Like, there's a hurricane in my part of the country, and there's no power, but the only store open is McDonald's. I'll go there. Yum, 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 yum. Still the best fries. I mean, whatever they do to genetically modify that and turn them into Franken-fries, whatever it is. Mmm, delicious. Demographics have shed light on McDonald's woes. So, customers in their 20s and 30s, which have always been where McDonald's makes their bread and butter, per se, because it's people who are establishing their careers and don't have the wherewithal and the disposable income. Um, they're defecting to competitors. If you've ever been to a Five Guys, the quality is immeasurable compared to uh, McDonald's. And you could do In-N-Out Burger, whatever you want. The percentage of people aged 19 to 21 in the United States who visited McDonald's monthly has fallen by 12.9 percentage points since the beginning of 2011. While the percentage of customers aged 22 to 37, it's been about flat. So they're losing their, their core base. They're losing their future. Is McDonald's still going to make lots of money? Yes. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. But that story is the same story again and again and again. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, you know, Napa has another disaster on their hands. It's not just the the shaky, shaky, earthquakey. They've got a drought going on. The farmers up there are buying trucks bringing water. They're not buying John Deere tractors. That's a problem. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Here's attorney Travis. Legal advisor as a substitute for an attorney. See yours at Airport Appliance today. The views and opinions expressed by and your money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you. At 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I think today's topic is pretty obvious. Is it divorce and suing your children? Suing your parents? No. Today's topic is Disasters and how they happen and why they happen and are you ready for them? Um, Suge Knight got shot 
early Sunday inside a packed West Hollywood nightclub. I've been to Hollywood nightclubs. A couple years ago, kid loses his mind and shoots up Virginia Tech students. I've been to Virginia Tech. Today there was a big to-do about a potential shooter on the loose in Fort Lee, Virginia. I lived there when I was in 11th grade with my dad and mom. San Francisco got hit with a massive earthquake 25 years ago. Napa. I've been in downtown Napa. I've been in that building that, that collapsed that they say that couldn't collapse or shouldn't collapse. It was retrofitted, right? I've been to many of the wineries that got hit hard. Some of them are lovely. Um, some of them have castles. And you're like, castles? And you're like, is that earthquake ready? So just looking at the headlines, disasters happen. There's a hurricane just off of Mexico that could potentially hit Southern California. Baja area. Baja! Um, I know you're saying, why did you just do that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, the insurance damages would be huge. But most people won't have had insurance. Um, a lot of wineries tend to stack their barrels for space reasons, and we're going to learn, you know, a barrel typically holds 25 cases or 300 bottles, and we're going to hear a lot about a lot of damage uh, over the coming weeks and days. Constellation Brands owns the Robert Mondavi, Clos de Bois, Estancia, and Ravenswood labels. They had wine sales of $586 million in the most recent quarter, 38% of total spirits, and 2% below a year earlier. Diageo has Boulet Vineyards in Napa and Sterling Vineyards in the nearby town of Calistoga. Brown Foreman is the owner of Corbell Champagnes, the major supplier of oak barrels to the industry. So there's some publicly traded angles. Most Californians don't have earthquake insurance, even though we live in earthquake country. Um, the financial ramifications of, I think it was something like 200 homes unfit to go into. 100 homes. Red tagged. You can't live there. Where are you going to live? Um, you know, a big earthquake isn't likely at this point in time. But it could happen. A hundred homes unfit to live in. Now I go back to Suge Knight. West Hollywood nightclub. He wasn't randomly shot. He was probably shot multiple times. Um, he's expected to survive. But he has a long-standing relationship with um, gangs. Um, he owns Death Row Records. He's been previously shot and then you're saying, whoa. Um, two times. Once in Miami and once in Vegas. That's pretty rough. Um, it's a huge club that he was shot at. So when he was shot in the middle of the night, 1.30 in the morning, people were partying and drinking. Um, Chris Brown was there. I know you're saying, Chris Brown, holy mackerel. Um... Should Knight tied towards Compton's Bloods gangs? But do you have any people at that club not tied towards gangs? I think if you're tied towards gang, maybe you get what you signed up for. A violent life kind of thing. I get it. I get it. 
But like I said, I've been in some nightclubs in L.A., in Hollywood. Um, I like Chris Brown's music. Like, yeah. Actually, I don't know Chris Brown's music, so please forgive me that I actually said that. But you get the idea. The randomness of violence. Oh, that never happens to me, but this whole segment, I'm telling you, it does happen to you on a regular basis. Um, I once was driving and uh, just minding my own business driving. Oh, there's a stop sign. Stop. person behind me doesn't see that I'm stopped. Crashes right into the back of me. So, yes, I was rear-ended. And uh, it was pretty violent. That's a sound effect I hate, but I love at the same time. When you're doing a radio show, it's a great sound effect, but when you're in your car, it's a horrible sound effect. Because you're looking around like, what just happened? What did I miss? Um, I've seen two cars in front of me decide to get into the same lane at the same time. Blam! And I've got like three to four seconds of, am I going to hit this vehicle or not? Is it going? Am I going to survive without a crash, or is there going to be another one? And I'm not unlucky. I'm just living life. We see it happen around us every single day. Uh, the number of people, like, I hate driving in San Francisco, even though I work in San Francisco. number of people who jump into crosswalks. I've seen two, two uh, homeless people in wheelchairs basically hit by trucks. Because they're just like, I'm going to go in the middle of the road. I'm homeless. Do, 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 do. I don't have to look left or right. I'm in a wheelchair. Do, 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 do. I've seen two of them crushed. I once was uh, on a date. And... Uh, there was a girl that I was on a date with, Michelle, and we're going to see a movie in Washington, D.C. And it's probably like 7 o'clock, so the sun's going down, right? It's that transitional time. Sun, night. I saw a biker in the other lane get destroyed by a truck. Um, no one stopped. Truck didn't know he hit him. Truck was too big, I think. So I flipped the car around, and this is pre-cell phone. Or maybe I was just too poor to have a cell phone because I was a college student. And, uh, you know, I tell my date, I'm like, here, take the car, go call the police, let them know where we are, kind of thing. Police show up, and they, they, they look at me like I did it. I had to sit with a dead body for, like, 45 minutes to maybe an hour and a half. And when you get hit by a car or a truck, it ain't pretty. There was, like, bones po- poking out of his body. And I bring this up again, because I think that biker probably was thinking, I'm going to get from point A to point B tonight, and it's going to be okay. I think a lot of people in the Hollywood nightclub who ran out screaming at 1.30 in the morning after Suge Knight's been shot, we're probably thinking, I'm having a pretty good time tonight. Earthquake. Hey, honey, let's go to Napa and rekindle our romance. Mm-hmm. Shake, 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 shake. Oh, honey. And it's like, no, it's an earthquake. <laughs> um, and people got hurt. 100 people can't go back in their homes. Or 100 homes can't be gotten back into. A lot of people financially destroyed. Um, the guy who owns the building that collapsed in the middle square of Napa, he didn't have earthquake insurance, couldn't afford it, he said. He couldn't do the retrofitting, couldn't afford it, he said. He said, you know, back in 1906 when this building was built, it was pretty close to the codes today. Anyhow, you get the point. You have to insure what you can't afford to lose. Period. I have disability insurance in case I get into a car accident and can't work. I've got life insurance for the people I love in case I get run over and can't work and I die. You get the idea. 
Um, insure what you can't afford to lose. Don't buy extra insurance. And if you have any questions about what insurance to buy or not, ask me, and I'll tell you. I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial, money, investing, and more. AM I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Earthquake early warning system gave a 10-second alert before the Napa quake felt. Now you're going, what's 10 seconds? It's actually a lot. If you're a firefighter and you can get your garage door open... In 10 seconds, if you're in an elevator, you can stop and open your door so people can get out. Uh, we'll get to the point, they think, that we'll have 40 to 50 seconds before a big warning, uh, before a big one. Um, and that could save lives. Clearly, a lot of lives. Eh, with that said, it doesn't sound like much. But warnings can go out to TVs, computers, radios, cell phones, much, much more. Um, it's nice to know technology like that's being developed. Uh, let's talk a little financial planning with CFP, Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP, Chad Burton. We all know how to accumulate wealth. Well, no, I'm not going to say we all know, but we got the general concept, accumulate wealth. When do you start drawing down on your IRA, your individual retirement account? Well, you have to start drawing on it, on your IRAs, 401ks, um, even not on Roth IRAs unless you inherit one, but at the age of 70 and a half. So what you actually have to do in retirement prior to your asset allocation planning is do your income and tax planning. Okay. So what happens is you end up with a certain amount of money in taxable accounts that kicks off dividends and interest, and it's going to be a tax issue no matter what you do. Then you have your Social Security and, and or pensions and rental income. So you have to calculate what your taxes are automatically, regardless of whether you take the money or not, because... If you have dividends paid to you on your stock and mutual fund portfolios and your taxable accounts, whether you spend it or not, it's taxable income. So what I like to do is say, okay, how much is my automatic taxable income and how much more can I take out of my IRAs right away once when I retire in order to stay at the existing tax bracket? And in fact, on newfocusfinancial.com, there's a there's kind of a, a short shortened version of the long longer-term retirement boot camp that I do that shows people how you allocate things once you've done that tax planning. So what you have to do is change your thinking. A lot of people put off as long as possible taking money out of the IRA, but what you do is say, how much can I take out of this existing bracket? Um, Because there's a scenario that I show where you can have well over $100,000 of income and still be at a 15% federal bracket if you do it the right way. So always think about how much can I take out. If you don't need to spend it, convert it to a Roth IRA. Um, so 70 and a half is the forced rule, but you want to pre-plan and control your taxes over the long term. And what you do in terms of your income planning and how much you can pull out of your IRAs goes back into your asset allocation. The thing that I like about this is it's really not up for argument. And a lot of people have come up with their own rules and they make mistakes. Yeah. 
uh, you want to be, I think you're leaning towards the word efficient. Tax, tax efficient, efficient income planning. It's, it's a really a longer-term view of your tax planning rather than a shorter-term. Some people take the short-term view of saying, what's the least amount of taxes I can pay this year and next year, right? Right. And they don't realize that if they do that in the future, they could increase their tax burden drastically instead of trickling the tax burden out over the time, over time. Um, so it's, it's really important to, to do that. And also, you know, it's, it goes back into how you should invest during retirement. And that's where certain assets should be held. For example, in retirement, you typically want a lot of your normal, your corporate bonds, things like that in your retirement accounts, kicking off interest, paying you um, right away rather than being deferred. Let's go back in time, though. Let's go back to when you're 20, 30. In your IRAs, do you want income? Do you want dividend stocks in your IRAs or do you want them outside? When you're in 20, 30, what... What you want is growth. Right. You want to be dollar cost averaging into growth areas, so that means large cap, small cap, mid cap in the U.S., but also probably 25 to 30 percent overseas, with at least half of that exposure in emerging markets. So once you get done max, most people can't afford to max their 401k in and then invest outside of that. So all of that goes into your 401k. But when you start maxing out all of your retirement options and you have extra money to save. In your taxable accounts, that should be more of your longer-term, kind of broad, large-cap exposure. should be your taxable accounts. And then your small-cap, mid-cap, international, emerging markets, all of that should be held in your retirement accounts because they tend to have more turnover. Uh, when a foreign stock pays a dividend, it's not a qualified dividend necessarily in the U.S. So, again, you, you kind of want that in your retirement accounts. Um, so for younger people, once you are able to save outside your 401k, just you can look at some of the iShares, some of the core iShare ETFs, and buy those for free in, in, in your brokerage account. Back to the retired person and taking money out of an IRA mm-hmm. and efficiency doing it. One of the areas that I first learned when I got into the business many years ago was that old people don't like paying taxes. It was a weird statement. Someone come, came up to me and was like, don't do any transaction? That's going to create a tax uh, liability for someone because old people don't like paying taxes. Yep. What do you think about that statement? Well, it's, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of, um, still a lot of people that live through the tail end of the depression that are alive today and they're very, very wealthy, but they just live off their social security and they literally will not draw on their accounts and increase their lifestyle because of that point, they don't want to pay taxes. So sometimes you have to sit down with them and say, look, you've got all this money in an IRA or an annuity or whatever you bought. And if you take it out over time, you can control your bracket and be under 15%. If you leave it to your children um, and you leave your IRA to your kids, you leave your annuity to your kids, when they inherit it, they're going to pay taxes at their bracket. They're still working. They're making a high wage. So you can talk to them about how you leave money and show them that your kids are going to pay twice as much in taxes as you are. So if you're that person that is in retirement and you have assets that are growing that you're not using, you're lucky enough to have saved enough to have assets that you're just going to leave to your kids, you've got to realize how they're going to be taxed because most people want more money to go to their kids and their charity than to Uncle Sam. Smartest financial planner I know, CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online, newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Napa Quake Tourism. Should you stay or should you go? With power still out in some places, um, some older buildings damaged, tourism officials recommended that visitors stay away from downtown Napa. 
but wine tourists shouldn't put the rest of Napa Valley on hold in any way, shape, or form. Restaurants, shops, wineries further up the valley, like Yountville, St. Helena, Calistoga, experienced very little damage. Nine miles north of Napa, Yountville sustained such little damage that, you know, they're saying, come up here. Like, you don't want the whole area painted as, stay away, it's dangerous. Um, with that said, this is like really powerful tourism season and a lot of tax money generated from people out of state coming here. So make sure you tell friends and family, planning a vacation? Consider Napa. They could certainly use it. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm Rob Black. Strategies Conference. Call 877. So the city that you probably didn't want hit if you're tied to tourism. And this just shows you just how much of a bullet shot of bad news the earthquake was. It hit Napa. Where's wine country? Napa. People outside of the Bay Area don't realize that Napa's just one teeny tiny city in uh, wine country. So when people wake up today and see on Good Morning America, Napa was hit. They're going to think, that's wine country. I can't go to wine country. It's too dangerous. It's, it, they got hit. Right? Now, tourists are key to the Napa Valley's economic health. Regions nearly 3 million annual visitors generate some $1.4 billion a year in direct tourism spending. According to an impact study, 13,500 people who visit daily together spend an average of about $3.8 million daily. Um, so think about that for a little bit. Um, just a little bit. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money, investing, and more. Um, obviously, ensuring things that you can't afford to lose, a big part of the show this morning. And I won't make it that every morning, but this time... I think it makes some pretty good sense to overly focus on it. Um, I've got friends who live in Napa. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they say the shakeout uh, will be. Um, it's going to be north of a billion dollars, I think. What's interesting to note about this is... Disasters are actually good for the economy in a really crazy kind of way. So when a hurricane is in the Gulf of Mexico and it, it takes out oil rigs, I'm not happy about that because that's bad for the economy because the oil rigs stop doing their thing and gas prices go higher. When an earthquake shoots up you know, Miami and takes out the windows in apartment buildings, it's great because contractors get more work, more things are manufactured, demand goes up. That's not great, like, woo like, that's the greatest thing ever. But it does stimulate the economy. 
Home Depot and Lowe's are obvious winners in disasters. As cleaning up. There's a lot of wine on the ground. Go get a mop. Where are you going to go get a mop? Like, hardware store, right? So, I, I'm not saying I like disasters, because that would be totally insensitive of me. But I see some positives sometimes in things that are negative. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that makes me slightly unique. As far as my brain goes, it's just not wired like yours. Burger King is in talk to buy Tim Hortons. Uh, the thing that I'm most impressed about Burger King is they've got a CEO who's under 35 years old. What? Like, that can't possibly be. And he is slashing prices. He is cutting costs. And Wall Street likes that. Um, Burger King's 33-year-old CEO has been cutting costs like crazy. Um, as an investor in a company, you have to look at a company as a publicly traded company, Right? But you're like, it's a company. No, no, it's a person. When you lend $100 to a company to buy shares of the company, you buy stock, you're giving them 100 bucks. they're giving you one share of the company, or whatever. Whatever the cost of share is. And they can now use that share to go out and acquire other companies. They can now use that share for raising debt. They can do a lot of things with it. Um, Burger King, you know, going after Tim Horton's Canadian coffee and donut chain, it's taken one of the competitors out. In the end, you compete with only so many people, only so many businesses. Market can only sustain so many businesses. Like if Chipotle gets into doing breakfast aggressively, that would hurt maybe someone like a Wendy's. They just couldn't take the pressure anymore. Or maybe a Burger King. Um, the CEO is a guy named Daniel Schwartz. He had a background in private equity and not in fast food. He surrounded himself with a really young management team when he came in, a 28-year-old chief financial officer. He started going after deep cost-cutting measures to help the struggling burger chain generate more cash. Um, parent company of Burger King is 3G Capital. Um, so cutting corporate headcount from 38,800 down to uh, 2,400. Refranchising restaurants meaning those workers now report to franchise owners and not to the corporation. He's axed a lot of the executive perks, including big offices that they had referred to as Mahogany Row. He's cut the perk of a million-dollar annual party at the Chateau in Italy. Or at a Chateau, not the Chateau. He's negotiated deals with restaurant operators in Brazil, China, and Russia, which have helped grow the number of Burger King franchises. And I know you're, you're saying, he's talking about Burger King? Like, really? Like, they can't possibly be that interesting. Um, it's fascinating to me. You know, the Red Robins of the world, um, the Burger Kings of the world. Ticker symbol on Burger King is BKW. And if you think I'm joshing, it's gone from $19 a share to $27 a share. And oftentimes I'll say things like, if you ever see me in a radio shack and you identify me as Rob Black, I will give you $10,000 in cash. I will go directly to the bank and give you $10,000. Because there's some retail stores that like, you're like, we don't need that one, do we? Like, everything I need now, I'd go to Best Buy if I had to go anywhere, or I'd jump online and get it. I'm not going, I'm not driving five miles, wasting gas to get a Burger King. 
or to go to uh, Radio Shack. The idea of radio is like, who has a radio anymore? Don't we all listen to music on internet connections? Right? Kind of? Well, I guess you're listening to the show right now, probably on radio, or an internet connection where you can listen to it via stream at KDOWWiz, KDOWWiz, TuneIn.com um, as well. TuneIn has copies of the show from previous episodes. If you can't find my website and sign up for the subscription, it's free. Um, iTunes, podcast, it's all out there. So you can find it at robblack.com. Um, finding it at iTunes is difficult. There's just so many damn shows there. But Burger King publicly traded. Like, who knew? Right? I don't know. I'm throwing it out there. Maybe it sticks, maybe it doesn't. Um, we don't need as many stores serving breakfast as there are. SP 500 is higher today. Up 13. The Dow's up 117. The NASDAQ up 29. What's interesting to note is the SP 500 is at 2,000. We're riding the rally. But we're worried about geopolitics. Grubhub stock came public not too long ago. Back at the end of April, I think. Um, Once again, Grubhub helps solve some of the problems in the world that you may not even consider a problem. You know, a lot of people don't mind going out and figuring out dinner on their own. Um... But younger people, they kind of like having multiple solutions figured out for them. Lyft um, is tied towards younger people don't want cars. I can jump online, use an app, and get from point A to point B in something that's cheaper than a cab. Now Lyft's come out with a new service called Lyft Line, whereas if you're willing to share your ride with one other person, or maybe two other people, I don't know, um, it's half the price. It's incredibly cheap to get from point A to point B now. Um, so Lyft, L-Y-F-T, is an app. It, it's more effective, obviously, in big areas like San Francisco, but it also works in areas like Palo Alto. So Lyft Line, even a cheaper way of commuting, and people want that. company wants to deliver something besides pizza for dinner, Grubhub. It's an online and mobile platform for restaurant pickup and delivery orders. Its platform processed more than 135 combined meals in 2013. It gives you a direct line into the kitchen of the restaurant, cutting out the middleman for phone orders. Grubhub's target market is independent restaurants that want to generate more takeout orders while keeping advertising costs low. Diners simply search for restaurants, order directly through Grubhub website or mobile app, and then wait for the doorbell to ring and or go pick it up. The company went public in 2014. Now, when they came public, and I'm just throwing this out here for you, it's one of those IPOs that came public um, and doesn't have much of a track record. But it's an app, and it's an easy way of getting food. It's an easy way of finding food and getting food. came public at about 35. It dipped to 30, but now it's around to 40. Um, when you look at the valuation of it, you're like, is that real? Is it trading at 90 times next year's earnings? Uh-huh. But in the end, at some point in time, you know, will they take... Uh, market share away from like an open table. It's not even open table's business line. Could open table acquire them? Maybe. But you get the idea of how many solutions do we need to do things like the old-fashioned way to replace doing things the old-fashioned way. 
So whether it's Burger King and Tim Hortons, Burger King takes out a competitor as much as they acquire you know, a platform. I'm not black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give me a call. Or drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money. On AM 1220, KDOW, and iHeart Radio Station. Got a couple emails that are worth hitting. Oliver asked the questions, is dividend paying whole life insurance a good idea? No, it is not. Um, who needs whole life? You're going to live to 75 years old. Do you need insurance when you die? Probably not. So instead of sending that money to them and them giving you a teeny, teeny, tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny fraction of it back in a dividend, why don't you just save it in an investment? Look, the S&P 500 is at all-time highs. It's up 8% this year. You put $100 in the S&P 500, you get an 8% dividend to yourself. Woohoo! Well, not an 8% dividend. You get 8% growth, plus you get the 2% or less that the S&P 500 is paying in dividends right now which is much bigger than that life insurance policy. Also, my grandmother, who recently died, um, she lived to like 95. 94, 95, her husband passed like 91, 92. When they died, who needed their money? You don't need life insurance for your whole life. That's just sick. If you do well in your life. And if you're able to save. So, you know, let's talk about my grandma. If she had life insurance when she was 20 for her whole life, which is 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 20, all the way to 95, right? When she died, she had a farm. She had an oil well. She had hundreds of thousands of dollars. She had land that was worth $5 million. So when she passed, it wasn't like she didn't have assets. She certainly did. And at any point in time, like if she had to be institutionalized or hospitalized or taken care of long-term care, it would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And she had it. So, Oliver, you're basically putting your hand up and saying you're financially ignorant if you sign up for whole life. The person who's going to sell it to you is a jerk. But he doesn't know that. He's been trained by a company that's like, don't you want to give your family the comfort of protection in case you die? Yeah, there's something called term life insurance, and I absolutely get that. If you have a family and they count on your income, absolutely have term life insurance. But I think I made my point. Next email question comes from... I don't know if I want to throw in the name. Because um, it's a kind of a unique name. So this person may not want to be known, but... Hi, Rob. Thanks for the great shows and informative interviews with knowledgeable individual uh, industry professionals. I'm 39, single, no mortgage or debts, with a savings rate of 40% annually. Normally not risk-averse since my portfolio is aggressive. I have two questions. Um, during 2008, an advisor 
I'm not going to say his name because he actually does a radio show on the station, advised that I purchase a five-year annuity linked uh, index. And let's see. I was concerned about the real estate and mortgage lending fallout, so I purchased this product. It's locked in for five years until late 2006. I put in 25000 My research shows this product is not suitable for me, especially since it only credits on the fifth year, and the surrender value of the terms are horrific. Do you have any thoughts on this product and or if it's suitable? It's not suitable. Uh, most people don't need annuities. They're typically very high cost, very high fee products that make the guy a lot of money. Um, so you gave him 25000 and he took home probably about $2,500 just for saying, look, this is perfect for you. But what you could have done was put it in the stock market five years ago and you'd have $60,000 right now. Your 25 would have made, you know, another $35,000 in profit growth for you. But this jerk sold it to you. He's an ignorant person who doesn't understand the ramifications of the product that he's putting you in or the cost of the fees to the end user. And it's unfortunate. Um, his next question says, in the past, you've supported prenups. I'd like to know if you still support prenups or creating trust to shield one's assets. I find it extremely difficult to overcome the mass hysteria many women have over prenups and the tremendous misinformation spread through chick flicks and mainstream media. That's why I'm considering creating a trust. Thoughts, comments, thank you. Um, if you can't talk with your spouse or your potential spouse about money, it tells you that you're going to have problems down the road. Uh, a prenup is nothing more than protecting something that you brought into the marriage. Because you marry, it doesn't mean 50-50 previously. It means 50-50 of what you do now going forward. A prenup could protect a business. A prenup could protect your mother's frying pan. My mom's frying pan would be in any prenup agreement, even a post-nup agreement. If you can't talk money and finances with your sugar booger, don't marry him. And I don't think there's hysteria, because a lot of women come to marriages with assets, and they need to protect them, too. Um... So take that, nanny nanny boo boo. Um, a lot of women have assets that they bring into, you know, like, let's say you're marrying a woman who's expecting a huge inheritance. She should protect that. Any asset that comes to her should come to her. Just because you're married doesn't mean you share, like, my grandfather had a farm. Woohoo, I'm going to get half a farm when I marry this person. No. Um, so learn to talk to people, you know, look, there's some things that, you know, like, would you marry her? Or let's say, let's say you have $40,000 debt. You should get a prenup that says, this is mine in case things don't work out. It's not ours. And she should go, sweet. Um, I think one of the better ways of talking about debt is to start with your parents Never do it when you're, or one way to talk about money and prenups is never do it when you're drunk or drinking. Be sober and start talking about your parents and things like that first. Anyway, practical advice for an impractical world. I'm Rob Black. Um, book a trip to Napa, people. That city's going to need some help and some support. They've got a lot of support industry people working. Um, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Views 
and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network. This station, it's managed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.